The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880 and simulcast on KKNW 1150 AM right now. My name is Paul Casey, your host, and along with uh, Eric Crema and Eric Ryder, we are here to present Voices of Experience for January 25th, 2023. And Eric, I want to start out with you today. Yes. Because you have a real exciting interview from a historical nation or a nature but also it's very contemporary as well. A gentleman by the name of Jeff Smolian, and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that name. Yeah, so I had a chance to interview him a while back, and uh, he's got a new book out, so we talk about that. But, of course, we also talk about the Mariners and his time here as, as an owner of the Mariners. It was a bit tumultuous, and he you know, he, he pulls no punches about that, and he said he learned some lessons, and and he did some things right, and you know, like anything else, when it's hindsight twenty twenty, wouldn't that be great? Just to go back and do things a different way, here or there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I think about that a minute after I do it. God, I wish I could just roll back the clock. Yeah, he was an amazing guy. He was the uh, owner of the Mariners from nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety two. We'll get into more details about that. I'm actually candid. I haven't heard your interview, so I'm as anxious as anybody oh, to hear it. Good. Yeah, it was a good one, I think. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. And I think his book is called, what, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Upside Down. Down. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a how-to book. It's not just for sports fans or or things like that. It's actually for anyone who, you know, is maybe getting into business. Maybe you're a business manager uh, or even an employee and you just want to be a better employee. It's, It's just sort of, you know... Dust yourself off when you fall down, and and don't get overly excited when you make mistakes. Matter of fact, a lot of times that's when you learn. Well, he was very successful on uh, owning MS Broadcasting, correct, in the radio business, and owned a number of big market stations. But anyhow, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm so pleased you got that interview, and it came out of nowhere, so that's great. Uh, let's see. We also have a Dr. Donald Hensrod, and he's um with the Mayo Clinic Diet, and he is a uh, this diet that he's going to talk about was voted the best diet program by U.S. News and World. And again, mm. with the Mayo Clinic, got a lot of uh, credentials there. So I think, again, it's a new part of the year. Yes. What the heck? Let's hear what he has to say. And actually, this interview was conducted before. And I got to say, I thought it was quite interesting. Voices in History Today, Seattle University's men's basketball team played a team that almost never lost, but they beat them. It was a major upset Mm. against a team that uh, they did this in January of 1952. The only hint I'll give you, it wasn't a college team, but it was a stunning upset nonetheless. Mm. So I bet you can't guess who it was against. I'm not even going to (laughs) try. So now we'll uh, move on to today's Timeless Classics. It's not Mac the Knife. But it was a huge hit by this performer. Can you guess, Eric and Eric, what the performer was? 
I don't there is. know. There is. No one. Eric might, though. I can guess, yes. He's got it. He's got it. He's more musically. Inc- Do you want me to, to say, or should we save the surprise? I don't, I don't know. You know what? Let's change it up. You tell us. It, Bobby Darren, right? You got it. Oh, all right. Very good. This was another hit by his, and I really enjoyed that, so we'll be playing that for the Timeless Classics today. Uh, Voices of Experience, uh, what is this all about? We talk with people with experience in public affairs, sports, like we are today, fitness, education, entertainment, and with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And today, later in the hour, we're going to talk about people who may be looking for jobs at this time in their life. They may have been out of the workforce and trying to get back. And Eric, this came from a phone call we have from somebody who wanted us to do that. So we're trying to pick that up. And we're going to explore that going forward. That sounds great. So uh, if there's anything about uh, this show you'd like to, again, call us about, just like this uh, woman did, and suggest topics, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. Leave a message. Let us know what you uh, may like about the show, what you would like us to, again, cover more of. We have a lot of ears, and we will definitely look into it. That number is 425-653-1166. Dr. Henstrud, coming up in just a moment. How can you lose six to 10 pounds in just the first two weeks? Let's just start there. So the Mayo Clinic diet is divided up into two phases, a lose-it phase and a live-it phase. People want to lose weight quickly, and tomorrow isn't soon enough. So the lose-it phase is a two-week jumpstart phase where people change habits suddenly. It's not anything, there's no counting calories, nothing uh, extreme. All the habits are safe and effective, such as eating more fruits and vegetables, eating breakfast, eating whole grains. The toughest habit is no eating while watching TV, and you can only watch as much TV as the amount of time that you're physically active. Uh, We're not telling people not to watch TV, but just don't mindlessly munch. When people did this in our pilot program, they lost an average of eight pounds, or most people lost six to 10 pounds. That's too fast long-term. Some of this is water weight, but we didn't see any adverse effects, and all of the habits were safe and effective. The second phase is where people take these habits in the live-it phase and turn them into long-term lifestyle changes. So although we call it the Mayo Clinic Diet, it actually is a long-term evidence-based lifestyle change program. You know, there's so much information about how to lose weight, and you had a couple comments there. And one is that you mentioned breakfast again. Is that the most important meal of the day and a meal that you should eat the most? Great question, and that's being questioned a little bit these days with intermittent fasting. So traditionally, we used to say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Now there's a little bit of data uh, questioning that premise with intermittent fasting. We still think it's important to eat healthy food throughout the day. Even if people are doing intermittent fasting, they should still try and eat a healthy diet. And a healthy breakfast can get people off to a good start, especially children. It's been shown that when children go to school, if they have a good breakfast, they do a little bit better. So this whole area of weight management is full of controversies. 
And it's a lot more complicated than eat less, exercise more. People don't need us to tell them that. So we've sorted through all of these things, and we've come up with a program that we think is practical, realistic, and enjoyable enough to be sustainable. So let's get into that. So the premise behind uh, our program is something called calorie density or energy density, that by consuming generous amounts of fresh or frozen fruits and vegetables that are high in bulk and low in calories, people can get enough food so they feel satisfied without a lot of calories. In the other food groups, we recommend healthier choices, such as whole grain carbohydrates, lean sources of protein and dairy, and heart-healthy fats, such as nuts, olive oil, and avocados. By following this program, people can not only get enough to eat and be satisfied, they can lose weight because their calories go down, they can improve their health, and they can actually feel better. To illustrate how this works, there's the same amount of calories in one and a third sticks of butter as there is in 10 or 11 heads of lettuce or 35 cups of green beans. Now, no one is going to eat that uh, amount of food, but it just illustrates by focusing on fresh or frozen fruits and vegetables that are health-supporting, calorie intake can go down, but people can still get satisfied and eat enough. You use the word frozen and, and the vegetables. Is there an advantage to buying frozen rather than fresh? One is convenience. You can buy frozen vegetables that are already cut up and ready to go, so you just heat them up. And there is a little bit of a misunderstanding. Sometimes frozen vegetables actually have more nutrients than fresh vegetables. Some nutrients, like vitamin C, for example, degrades over time. So if, if a fresh uh, piece of uh, fruit or vegetable sits on the shelf for a while, that content of vitamin C may go down, whereas frozen vegetables are often frozen right when they're picked, and it preserves some of these nutrients. So it's a way to include healthy foods that are low in calories and also uh, maintain the nutritional benefits uh, as well. Interesting. I mean, I'm getting things out of this interview already. However, if I don't get anything more out of it, which I'm sure I am, that makes this whole conversation worthwhile just with that. I would have thought that fresh would have been much better than frozen. You know, that's an example. Again, this, this whole area is very complex, but we've taken the evidence and the knowledge and we've put it into our book, The Mayo Clinic Diet, in a, in a form that people can not only understand, but apply in a positive way. This doesn't have to be drudgery. There's a lot of great food out there, a lot of other hints and tips for people to use in, in improving their health and managing their weight in a better way. And so we're, we're very excited about our new addition. People eating fast food and all that, is that ebbing some or is that still a chronic problem that continues to get worse and worse? Well, to take a step back, we know that we thought weight was plateauing in this country, but it seems to be it's continuing to increase. Over 70% of the population is now overweight and obese. And the factors that go into what we consume, our, our diet, and our activity are tremendously complex and numerous. We've engineered physical activity out of our lives. You mentioned fast food. That's a part of it here. So one of the ways we deal with that is to try and control portion size and total amount of high-calorie foods and emphasize uh, foods that are minimally processed, mostly plant, that can not only support uh, weight management, but also support health. So to try and tell people to not eat that ever may not be realistic. 
but to work with them and decrease portion size of those types of foods and to emphasize other foods seems to be a much more realistic way to, to deal with it. You know, there are so many diets out there like the keto diet, the gluten-free diet, the Mediterranean diet. How do you discern among all these various approaches? So there is a body of literature that is confusing to most people. We've sorted through it. And we actually, one of the, the main differences in the new edition is we have incorporated some of those other dietary plans. We have a Mediterranean male clinic diet, a healthy keto male clinic diet, a vegetarian male clinic diet, and a high protein male clinic diet with recipes that people can use to follow these types of plans. This program, or weight management program, should be tailored to the individual. People have different preferences, different uh, desires, and and uh, what they want to follow. And so we tried to not change the underlying premise of the diet, but we have other practical things to help them implement them. And if they do it in the correct way, with healthy principles, it's in, it is possible to incorporate these different other dietary plans. There was something else I read in an advanced copy of this interview, and it something along the lines of losing weight is not the hard part, but keeping it off is. I imagine you have a lot of evidence in that direction. That's right. Uh, you know, if people ate 500 calories from jelly beans, they'd lose weight. But that obviously isn't a, a healthy or sustainable way to do it. We focus on setting people up with the information and knowledge and guidance to help people do this in a way that, as I think I've mentioned, practical, realistic, and enjoyable. Those things should be in place. It shouldn't be drudgery to make it sustainable. And it's not only about weight. It's about maintaining health. And the type of program we recommend is health-supporting. And most importantly, people often say, when I weighed less, when I was eating better, when I was more active, I felt better. So it should improve the quality of life also. And we think we've, we've uh, helped people to do that as well. You had something as well um, talking about a quick start program five habits, breaking five habits, and then try five bonus habits. What's that? That's the lose it phase where people can lose weight quickly in a healthy manner. The habits are all safe and effective uh, and will help people to get a jump start on their weight loss. So uh, uh, eating whole grains, for example, that's been shown to be healthy and support weight. Move 30 minutes a day and people can choose whatever activity they want to. Some people want to do more vigorous activity. Other people, uh, more modest activity. It's all good, and people should start baby steps and gradually build up. Excuse me, doctor. You said period, move 30, 30 minutes a day? That doesn't seem that burdensome. It, it doesn't, but many people don't achieve that. Huh. A, a bonus habit is 60 minutes a day. So once people are on to 30, they start with baby steps. They can build up over time. It's important to not do too much too fast, which many people are doing with New Year's resolutions, uh, and that'll last about a week or two. But we do throw the kitchen sink at people, but we think it's in a manageable manner that people can then take those habits and turn it into a lifestyle change program. All right, so that's um, Dr. Um, Hensrud, and uh, we were talking about, uh, obviously, some of uh, the information that he has about uh, his Mayo Clinic diet book. And, um, you know, I like the way he ended that. And he said uh, something about make it easy as possible in the beginning. And I like that, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that caught my eye. And I'm, I'm glad he mentioned that towards the end because 
I like when you talk about the quick start program that you can lose six to 10 pounds in two weeks. And um, just thinking about the date now, if you started this in a couple of days, you could look six to 10 pounds thinner by the Super Bowl. Think about that. You walk into the Super Bowl party, you've lost six to 10 pounds. So that would be uh, quite a bit. So then you can eat all the potato chips then (laughs) at the party and do whatever and then make it up um, another time. But um, again, that's Dr. Donald Hensrud, and he's a specialist in nutrition and weight management. The book is called The Mayo Clinic Diet, third edition. To get a copy, all you need to do is Google the Mayo Clinic Diet Book. Google Mayo Clinic Diet Book, and you will find it. I just wrote that down. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with um, Eric Crema. Eric Ryder in the studios today. So we're now moving on to our Voices of History segment for July 25th, 2000. Excuse me, January 25th. Hey, I'm in (laughs) Palm Springs. It's like 80 degrees today. So you can not fault me for that. January 25th, 2023. On January 24th, 1972, after 28 years of hiding in the jungles of Guam, local farmers discover a Japanese sergeant who fought in World War II. He had been in hiding for over 27 years. He did not know the war was over. Such an amazing story. I've read this story before, and I'm wondering, have have they ever made a movie about it? Wouldn't that be interesting to just kind of know what he was thinking all those years? Absolutely. You know, that's a very good question, Eric. I thought... That is something that was amazing, and it just popped up to me Mm. again. I vaguely remember it when it happened, uh, when it was discovered. But anyhow, that just shows, um, obviously, there were no iPhones or texting available then. Yeah. I mean, just think again, you know, and seriously, how isolated the world was, and that would never happen today. No. You know? No. And it's amazing. That seems like forever ago, and it was a long time ago, but it's still quite remarkable that, you know, as you mentioned, after you know, 28, 27, 28 years, not knowing the war is over. Talk about somebody being dedicated. Yeah. And I'd like to know how he survived. You know, what did he eat? Uh, Did he have to stay close to obviously to water? What did he do for shelter? I mean, there's a lot of questions. Hey, Eric, maybe you could, Eric Ryder, at some point you could maybe uh, look that up and see if uh, there has been a movie made about that. Um, Anyhow, 
maybe not. But, you know, just give that a shot and just see if there has been something about yeah, that. I'll see what I can find out. On January 24, 1935, the first canned beer goes on sale in partnership with the American Cam Can Company and Kruger Brewing Company. They delivered 2,000 cans of Kroger's finest beer. <laughs> okay. 1935. Wow. That was yesterday, 1935. <laughs> On January 25th, 1961, President Kennedy becomes the first U.S. president to hold a live televised news conference. Again, that's not that long ago. On January 25th, 1980, Paul McCartney is released from a Tokyo jail and deported from Japan. He was found carrying nearly a half a pound of marijuana. Um, that could have carried a seven-year term, but they didn't enforce that. They let him go. His explanation, we were about to fly to Japan for a concert, and I knew I wouldn't be able to get anything to smoke over there. This stuff was so good, I had a real difficult time imagining flushing it down the toilet, so I thought I'd take it with me. Okay. There he goes. I mean, I would think that he could have afforded a little more pot when he got back there, but hey, that's just me. Yeah. You know, he's got a few bucks there. <laughs> Guys, on January, go ahead. Oh, I just want to let you know that there was a movie uh, in 2021 called Onoda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. Oh. It was all about uh, the uh, Hiru Onoda, and I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm getting that completely wrong in hey, the pronunciation. I didn't even but... <laughs> try, Eric. I just put a Japanese sergeant. I didn't want to even try to yes. do that, but please continue. But his, his name was Hiru Onoda. And uh, yeah, the movie came out in 2021, I guess. Right. Uh, Onada, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. So, <clears throat> wow. Uh, and it looks Thank like you. all Japanese cast and um, uh, probably uh, Japanese production. So, uh, you know, it should be pretty accurate. That's interesting. Cool. And it's only, you know, 2021. That's fascinating. I'm going to yeah. look that up. Uh, let's see. In 1945, on January 27th, Soviet troops enters Poland, freeing the survivors of the network of concentration camps. Great day in history there. Mm -hmm. Quote, I wrote it for breakfast. I recorded it for lunch and we're putting it out for dinner. That's the way John Lennon told the story of how he wrote Instant Karma, one of the most memorable songs that he ever recorded. And that happened on July. July. Why can't I I'm going January? <laughs> January 27th. 1970. Sounds like instant release there. Yeah, <laughs> he, right. Exactly. It all I mean, happened to the same day. I, I think right. that's well, the, probably an exaggeration, but uh, you know, it is funny. They, they could do that. There, there's a show on now about the Beatles that, you know, one album they put out in like 14 days from, and they didn't have one song recorded oh. in the beginning. And 14 days later, they got it out. So, yes, that can happen. On January 28, 1986, the space shuttle Challenger exploded after liftoff. Chrissy McCullough was on her way to becoming the first ordinary U.S. citizen to travel into space. She was 37-year-old high school social studies teacher from New Hampshire. That certainly was a tragedy. It was, and that's one of those that I completely remember where I was. I was driving to work. I was on 405, and I heard it on the radio. And then as soon as I got to work, they by then they'd already had the images those dreadful images of explosion of the yeah. explosion. Yeah. There's really nothing else to say about that, but mm -hmm. it was a tragedy. And again, it was just at this time frame. 
On the uh, local front, KJRAM radio got its start in 1920 when it began broadcasting from a home garage in Seattle's Ravenna neighborhood. On January 21st, 1925, a new 1,000 watt transmitter doubled the station's power. KJR then could be heard as far north as Alaska. Wow. So uh, here we go when I uh, use the teaser, getting into voices in history. A rare upset occurred in the world of sports on January 21st, 1952, when the Seattle University Chieftains at the time beat the Harlem Globetrotters. And again, they very seldom lost. Much of the credit for the Chieftains' victory went to um, O'Brien and his brother, John O'Brien, to become, and he became the university athletic director afterwards, and the other Johnny O'Brien became a King County commissioner, respectively. <laughs> but um, I vaguely heard about that before. But yes, the Harlem Globetrotters, they tour all the time, yeah. and they very rarely lose, but the Seattle University Chieftains defeated them. So this is all courtesy of HistoryLink.com, the more local uh, events I cited, and the other was from This Day in History, courtesy of the History Channel, if you like history at all, you will love both of these sites. So there we go. We'll um, on. move on to the next one. Any more comments about Voices in History, guys? No, I think people, uh, If I would love to hear just comments from our audience, you know, as they listen to this. Uh, let's give out that 800 number or the 425. Uh, yeah, 425-653-1166, 425-653-11. 66. That'd be great. If there's something local that you have knowledge of in this area that we don't talk about, it'd be great to hear from you. 100%. We'd love to get that on the air. So uh, I guess we're going to be moving in just a moment into your interview, Eric, with uh, Jeff Smullyan. Looking forward to this. Sounds great. On today's Spotlight on Success, I'm speaking with Jeff Smolian, media industry legend, past owner of the Mariners Baseball Club, and a book author, including Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. Welcome, Jeff, to the program. Eric, it's my pleasure. Really appreciate your time. You have nice holidays this year. Everything's been good. All good. Good. Uh, now, you were born and raised in the Midwest, right? Right, Indianapolis. Now, you obviously have a book out. We're going to talk about that. But right. um, I want to give a little bit of background for those who uh, maybe know you just as a past owner of the Seattle Mariners. Um, right. So you're born and raised in the Midwest. Uh, you graduated from USC and USC School of Law. Your personal life, you're married. You have three children and two grandchildren. Right. That's wonderful. That'll keep you busy. Yeah, it does. But in media, you started out as vice president and general manager at the really the famous WNTS AM. Talk about that station and ex your experiences with some of your uh, your characters you had working with you. Well, the, the most famous, obviously, David Letterman. David was my mid our midday guy. Uh, he took the job. He had been a weekend weatherman. He said, look, I want to do this for a year, uh, learn talk and then um, try my hand in Hollywood. Uh, that worked out pretty well. But David was brilliant. Always was. Just been incredible. 
Well, and uh, maybe he asks you to thank for the launch, right? Uh, I don't know. For <laughs> some reason, I think David was going to make it, whether he spent a year at a daytime talk station or not. I don't know. Pick up the phone. Give him a call. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, now, in 1980, you founded Emmis, uh, right. which uh, we'll talk about that. But I found it interesting that that's Hebrew for truth. Right. Story right. behind that? Well, it was also the title of a book I once was writing that I never published called The Emmis Region. And I just thought, you know, Region of Truth. And I just thought, you know, they didn't want to name the company Smullyan Broadcasting. So I thought Emmis was a great name and it gives you you ideals to live up to every day. And uh, I was proud of it. Now, I started in radio in the early, early 90s, but I understand the 80s, too, was just sort of a a rocking time for for the radio industry. It really was. Your company grew grew quickly. Yeah, we really did. We bought Indianapolis and then Minneapolis and then St. Louis and Los Angeles and then New York and then the NBC station. So we did a lot, um, had a lot of fun, sort of invented the world's first uh, hip hop station in Power 106 in L.A., invented the first all sports radio station. I have a favorite saying, which is in the book, um, the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. Um, and so I have one chapter, Idiot to Genius, which was the start of the first all sports station, which is something I wanted to do. And all of our people thought it was ridiculous. And it really was Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmas for the first 18 months. Um, and then we got Don Amos, um, the NBC frequency, and it turned around and became one of the most successful radio stations in America. So I went from idiot to genius on that project and then followed <laughs> that up by, by buying the Mariners. And I was sort of the boy wonder in Seattle uh, for the first couple of years. And, uh, and then when it wasn't making it, uh, I became a pariah, um, and, and I went from genius to idiot. So when you live long enough, Eric, you really see all sides of everything. Well, from what I've read about you and your book, it seems to me that one of the common threads is, is just overcoming any of those obstacles and learning from any mistakes and just right. pushing forward, right? Right. I think that's right. I uh, The book was written at the behest of my now Georgetown freshman daughter, and we would just talk about life's lessons. And I always said, grit is really, you know, you got to have grit. And one day she said, is that the most important quality? I said, no, that's second. The most important quality is integrity. If your word means something, nothing else matters. And if it doesn't, nothing else matters. What was your kind of work process as you were working on the book? Well, when things slowed down with COVID and I started writing and I got into it and about six weeks later, I had about 300 pages and I sent it off to a couple of friends and just said, hey, tell me what you think of this. And they said, you've really got something here. This is funny and it's interesting and there's some great lessons. And um, so the next thing I knew, I had a wonderful editor who tightened things up. And and then we got an agent and a publisher. And the next thing you knew, we had we know we had a book. That's awesome. So you've written yeah. this book. Uh, were you a little nervous at the initial response, which you were, you know, it's one thing to hear from family and friends. Yeah. It's another to hear um, from someone that's in the industry. I decided I was going to tell the book, and 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 I think the thing, somebody in one of the reviews said, look, this is not a usual business book. This is a guy who tells warts and all. And so I talked about all the ups and downs, and there were a lot of downs and dumb mistakes I made. Um, there's one where um, when we sold the Mariners, David Stern became a good friend, and David ran the NBA, and he offered me the Houston Rockets. He said, put in whatever you want. I need you to take it over. Uh, and I turned him down because I said, I got to fix Emmis. Now, uh, from an economic standpoint, that may be one of the single worst business decisions of all time. But, but the book talks about doing what you love, and and the and the, the key to any success that I've had is just being surrounded by incredibly great people. 
Well, a lot of that too seems to be grit. And I've met a lot of people from the Midwest and it seems like that's sort of bred into you at an early age, just kind of can do. I think it is. Um, I think it is. It takes an unusual person to be an entrepreneur. Although one thing I've told people is, the book is for anybody who wants to be the entrepreneur of your own life. And we all are entrepreneurs of our own lives. Uh, I always said I, I was an entrepreneur and started a business because I wasn't hireable in a free society. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it really does, uh, you know, give you the, the ideas of how you live your life. So if anyone's just tuning in, we're talking about Jeff Simoleon's new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down the ups, downs, and reinvention of an entrepreneur. How'd you come up with the title? Um, the old saying, life's a roller coaster. Uh, I used to believe, I was one of those people who believed that when I was getting out of school, that life was this one steady ride up uh, and you went from success to success to success. And that's not life. Life's yeah. a roller coaster. My stuff has been so crazy that I said mine was a ride upside down. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, do you find yourself ever kind of looking back on, say, past failures or things that you perceived as a failure at the time? And yeah. thinking, man, I wish I'd done something different there. Yes and no. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at my career and say, boy, if you've done A, B and C, you know, I, I have a favorite saying that if anyone had 10 things that happened, my company would be a thousand times bigger. But if anyone had 10 other things that happened, I'd be sweeping streets somewhere. So it turned out very, very well. Um, and I, I've learned you just can't regret the past, can't live in the past. Absolutely. But you can certainly learn from it and talk about the successes. So this is almost like a self-help book, too. You're going to learn yeah. a lot of lessons. Yeah. Uh, obviously, where can people pick it up? You could buy it, you know, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. Uh, you know, you can. I know you can go online, you can get it at Amazon. So wherever you buy books, you can get it. Well, in your book, you're very honest about your ups and downs. You give it, yeah. obviously, from your personal perspective. Can yeah. you expand upon that a little bit? Um, yeah. And what lessons? Well, I think you learn. learn. I mean, listen, the, the Mariner experience is a, is a great example. We were we were like the marketing wizards, the turnaround guys. Uh, and I came out to Seattle. And I mean, people could not have been nicer. One of my best friends came out and watched me sign autographs uh, for 30 minutes after a game. And he said, any society that wants your autograph is probably one that can't endure. Um, I, and I joked about being a public figure. I said, being a public figure is a lot of fun. You know, if, if you, if for the first six months, it's really heady stuff. Probably if you love being a public figure after six months, but it was nice. And, and, and we made an awful lot of friends, lifelong friends there, but it didn't work. And, and I said, we don't have the money um, to lose this kind of money. And we said, we'll give it our best shot to this day, 30 years later. I think it's some of the best management my people ever did. Uh, we invented all sorts of crazy stuff that are commonplace, the movie clips and the situational music and the contests and the games that you see in ballparks everywhere. And it was revolutionary when we did it. So I'm very proud of that. But I, you know, I've said we couldn't afford to keep those losses you know, we had a $12 million collusion payment and somebody once said, can you afford to always pay Ken Griffey? I said, oh yeah, we can always pay Ken, but he may have to play with 24 high school kids. So we, and I, and I joked, I said, look, to own a, a team like the Mariners in that era, you had to be a billionaire or close to it. If you owned the Yankees or the Dodgers and you had a paper route, you'd be fine because the economics are just wildly different. Gotcha. For those people who are sort of in middle management listening to this, right. what, are, what are some advice that you can give them? to be a better manager? Well, I think the most important thing is you got to be doing what you love. 
Uh, if you love something, you work harder. There's no substitute for gaining more knowledge. Treat your people well. Treat the people who work for you, at, you know, the same way you treat the people who work above you. Um, and always, you know, volunteer for more. You know, we hire, number one, people who seem happy, people who treat people well, uh, and people who can go out and do a great job. So when you get a project, make it the best you can be. That's how you get noticed by your supervisors. Pretty simple stuff. Do you think that um, millennials and Gen Z employees sort of get a bad rap? Yeah, I think I do. I think people are people. Uh, it may be there's a little bit more entitlement. There may be a little more balance. And by the way, some of it may be work-life balance, which you know is also important to realize that you got to have. So I think you know people go to a job, and I, I whether they're millennials or they're boomers or Gen Z or you know whatever. I think most people come in and say. I have my job. I want to do it well. That's that's wonderful advice. And, and you know, conversely, I think that uh, from employees' standpoint, it's not always about the money. They're right. looking for that culture, as you talk about. Absolutely right. I, you know, you always think, oh my God, you got to pay them the most. And listen, I've also said the reason we've sort of drifted out of the media business is when a business doesn't grow, it's really hard to take care of everybody: your employees, your shareholders. Uh, your advertisers, your listeners. It, it's hard when a business is, is not growing. Um, but I have found that recognizing people, giving them the accolades, giving them a pat on the back, uh, I, I can't tell you how far that goes, Eric. Okay. So now I go to Amazon. I purchase Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, the ups right. and downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur. And right. I read this. What are some of the kind of like top five things that I'm just going to really glean from it? And it's a takeaway. I hope you're going to laugh a lot at some of the stories. And I hope those stories will give you some great lessons um, about how you handle a certain situation. Sometimes you, hopefully you'll laugh and say, hey, those guys really got that one right. Sometimes you laugh and you say, well, they really screwed that one up. But I, but I think it's it's lessons of life. Uh, it's it, we've intersected with so many people. I mean, I always said we were nationalized in Hungary by Viktor Orban, you know. And I, I always kid when I speak. I say I bet I'm the only one in the room who's ever been nationalized. Uh, so I think it's it just a lot of fun stories, crazy stories, some painful, but mostly light. Uh, and I think people read it, and I think the most gratifying thing is people said I laughed out loud a lot, that's and that right. that's encouraging. Sounds like a book that would be really good for business owners, managers. Yeah, really, yeah, just so. anyone kind of seeking to improve themselves a little bit. Or, or I, I hope so. Like I said, I think we're all entrepreneurs of our own existence. So whether you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you work for somebody else or you just want to, you know, maybe learn how to manage your relationships better, you know, on a day to day basis. That certainly was a fascinating interview, Eric. Well done. Thank you. Learned Thank a you. lot about uh, him and uh, uh, some tips that he gave throughout the book or his conversation with you, at least. It makes me want to get the book. Yeah. Okay, I'll say here. that. Same here. I talk prob- to him again I for me and maybe get him, send me a free one. <laughs> get a no, freebie. Did, did anybody hear that? No. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. What? I was just going to say, you know, even sort of the preliminary interview and just my subsequent conversations with him, he, he, he's the same. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you look at anyone who's successful, whether it's, it's money, fame or combination or just notoriety, um, it's always really interesting to have that much time to talk to them. And I, and I like what he said, you know, he's, he's, I think he's at an age where you sort of look back and you think you're in a good place, right. Where, where, um, you see the things that you could have done better, but eh, 
you know, keep moving, you know, keep moving forward. Well, I think a, a person like him would, uh, to survive would have to do that, not become bitter. And obviously he isn't, but when you're at his level doing the type of things he has done, I don't know how you're not going to make mistakes along the way, Yeah, but of course they're big mistakes and they're magnified. Like for example, the Seattle Mariners mm-hmm. and, I remember him very well taking over the team from George Ar- Arduous, and he did make the point that in the first two years or so, there was a love affair with his ownership, and he did a lot of things to this dark, dank kingdom to watch a baseball game. He, you know, dressed it up. It mm-hmm. just, you know, seemed a lot better atmosphere, but um, it's kind of like putting a lipstick, <laughs> a lipstick on a pig, you know I mean? he did what he could and the team was losing a lot of money. It wasn't that he was trying to cash out and get the team and sell them. He was really, I think he made a good faith effort yeah. to make that team work in Seattle. And, um, you know, you got to look at the Mariners. They just did not put a lot of money, all the ownership groups up to that point to get the players. And the first winning season they ever had was after, you know, he, was the owner. It came uh, like in 1992 um, when the team went to, um, you know, Slay Gordon, right. the U.S. senator then, really uh, cut a deal with Nintendo's owner, and that's uh, Hiroshi, Hiroshi Yamanuchi, and um, he became the owner and saved the team in baseball. And Slay Gordon, that's the second time he saved baseball in Seattle. As a matter of fact, we discussed before, and this kind of leads up to a Jeff Smillion coming in, but the Seattle uh, pilots from 1969, they lasted here one season and moved to Milwaukee. Fascinating story in and of itself. If you really want to read um, some baseball stories and books about the Seattle Mariners, Art Teal has a great book out on that. It is just a, a really amazing story about the Mariners one year here. Jim Bouton wrote a book about it, Ball Four, very famous book. And um, you wouldn't think that the lure of this team would have only lasted one year. But Slade Gordon, led by Jim Ellis and some local people, went to the American League and said, hey, you can't move that team out of here. That was illegal because you built a kingdom based Mm -hmm. on, you know, your pledge to have a team here. We're in the midst of doing that. Right. Um, We're going to sue you, frankly, for that. And they did. And it was just about ready to go to court. And the American League came and said, okay, let's settle this. We'll pledge to you to have a Major League Baseball team, an American League Baseball team back in Seattle by the mid-70s. That's when the Mariners were born. Just one more editorial comment about that. I think a lot of the community never recovered from the pilots moving at the time, and they were slow to warm up to the Mariners as a baseball team. Mm -hmm. Of course, their record didn't help. But um, certainly that, I think, was there. So anyhow, he's in the midst of that. And I, you know, I'm just amazed that you were able to get an interview with him because I've thought about him from time to time and Mm -hmm. thought, God, wouldn't it be interesting to do an interview with him? And I thought he wouldn't want to do it. But certainly uh, you did. And that's great. Well, it just sort of fell into my inbox. Uh, You know, obviously he wants to talk about his book. He would love people to get out there and buy the book. Uh, I might just do that. I love that kind of thing, you know, self-help books. And especially if it's someone that's you know, speaking from personal experience, it's not just someone on an ivory tower telling you the way it is. Um, so that's that's a, uh, an impetus for me to want to do that. 
Um, no, thank you for saying all your comments. Really appreciate it. You know a heck of a lot more the, than about baseball and particularly the Seattle you know history here. So thank you, Paul. Um, that's great insight. Um, and it is interesting how, you know, when I was very young, this was a kind of a one sport town and that was Seafair once a year, you know, and now we've got, uh, yeah, everything, baseball, sure. hockey, soccer, you know, we need foot, we need basketball back, but you know, pro and on the pro side. youngsters today. Yeah, don't I know. They don't what it was like back in the day, you know, yeah. that's right. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, every August Seafair and we did have the Rainiers, the minor league team. Yes. But, yes. um, that was, you know, triple a, and it was fun. I go to those games, uh, quite a bit, but, uh, still there was nothing like going to the the dance, going to the big time. And of course, uh, that started, of course, with the Sonics in 1967. Of course, they're gone, but um, yeah. we'll hopefully have some uh, pro basketball team back in the future. Well, and you make an interesting point, like with the Rainiers. So even though we do have the Mariners, you, you, there's lots of options. You got Kraken now and, of course, the Hawks and all this stuff. Um, there's these outlying clubs uh, in terms of geographically like the the Tacoma Rainiers and they pack the place and people love it because it's an experience right they've found their niche and uh so when anyone says oh Seattle's not really a sports town it's com- complete baloney I mean, oh and you know what I've always felt that even in the days of uh first of all the pilots weren't given a chance I could go into more history of the pilots which I won't do but there were some things that really uh, debilitated that team before it even started. I'm going to mm-hmm. say this quickly. The um, pilots did not want to, the American League did not want the pilots to begin in 1969. They wanted them to start 70 or 71. However, a U.S. Senator from Missouri, Symington, they lost their team, Kansas City, to Oakland. And he mm-hmm. said, I want this team back and I want it back now. So two teams had to come into the league to even out the divisions. So the American League, oh, what he did say is that if you don't do that, I'm going to, um, you know, remove the antitrust that the American League and baseball has in this country. Mm. And that scared baseball. And they said, get this pilots up and going now. And when that stadium opened up in 1969, it was in disrepair. It wasn't completed. It was haphazardly put together. They didn't have ticket sales going, so they got off to a, a very poor start, you know, to, to start that off, too. So that has to be said go. as well. And all this is in the history of it. <clears throat> well, you know, we were going to switch gears right about now in this uh, portion of Voices of Experience. I know you wanted to talk about that great call that we had recently, and we always encourage people to call with their thoughts, their questions, and their suggestions. It's really helpful. Um, but um, do you want to go into that conversation now and talk Absolutely. about it? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it. You know, uh, the caller's basic point was, hey, can you talk about, you know, other options for people who are retired, semi-retired or retired and just need a little more money um, or just to, you know, to keep their function up? Uh, A lot of times people have been known to get into retirement and sort of go go vegetable on it in terms of sitting in front of a a television and, and not going out and playing golf or seeing friends or playing cards or taking a walk, those kinds of things. And work can actually... That's one of the functions work can do, particularly on a very part-time basis, is give them that that uh, challenge to the brain power, right, and and to their enthusiasm. And so um, I read a very interesting article. It was uh, by Go Banking Rates, uh, Selena 
Fragassi, um, January 18th, actually, so just recently wrote this article entitled, More Employers Are Seeking Workers Age 50 and Older. So that bodes well for me. Um, she says in her, uh, in, in her article, quoting the Financial Times, growing numbers of companies are changing their attitudes towards age and now targeting over 50s for key roles. And they go further to talk about, okay, why is that, you know? Um, and, and they just appreciate older employees, what they can offer, things like problem-solving capabilities, uh, an ingrained professionalism, and generally being from a generation um, that uh, that likes to work, has is dedicated to their work, and that sort of thing. So it's really interesting, Paul, because a lot of the focus these last 10 years have been on Gen Z, you know, and, and – uh, Gen, Gen Xers and things like that, when really it's it's interesting that some of these, if you will, baby boomers and, and actually it would be Gen Xers too, um, are very valuable to companies. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. One of the uh, things that the article went, to, went on to say is, okay, um, <clears throat> what are some of these companies that are, that are looking at employees 50 and over and seeking them out. So Fortune 500 companies, for example, Microsoft, McDonald's, Humana, and Marriott International are just ones ones of 1,000-plus businesses that have aligned with AARP in an employer pledge program, reaching out to them. It reminds me a little bit, Paul, of uh, what after the first Gulf War, what a lot of companies were doing for our returning servicemen and women. It was pledging to hire them. You know, as they were exiting out of the uh, armed forces, and it's and it's been done to great success. Matter of fact, companies like Home Depot and Lowe's still really push that program. Um, but in 2021, Forbes, Forbes reported <clears throat> in a survey that found that a third of workers currently plan to work past the average retirement age of 70, and partly because of costs. You know, I know that there's talk of maybe Social Security not kicking in until later. And there's always been a conversation, the longer you wait, the more money you get per month. So maybe it's a situation where people are thinking, okay, it's just the cost of retirement's making me work longer. But I think there are some definite social and interaction type benefits for the individual. Do we have time, Paul, to kind of cover? Um, well, probably not, huh? Because we need yeah, to I think sort we're of kind transfer. of rolling on time right now. Next time, maybe we can talk subject. about some exact job opportunities. So do you want to do that now? No, or? we'll do that next show. All right, that's fine. Yeah, we'll get into that because, yeah, we got to research this out. I really think we're on to something here. And as you point out, the platform here is set because uh, there is a lot of opportunities. And again, uh, we've had some layoffs, of course, but um, still, there are a lot of opportunities out there for people to go. So we have, what, two minutes to go? Yep, two All minutes. right, so let me just uh, close by saying um, thank you for being here, number one, both of you and helping out. And let's see if we can get into right now, get into the um, timeless classic for this week. Let's just jump into it. Eric Ryder, you had the right um, artist, but let's play the song from 1960. What's the song? Oh, (laughs) Beyond the Sea. Fantastic.
The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices 
Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com.